Well, welcome again on this holiday weekend. My name is David, and I serve as one of the pastors here. I had the privilege of sharing with you last week, uh, and again uh, this week. Mike is okay, who normally preaches this service. Uh, we had prepared to swap this weekend uh, several months ago. Um, there's three services that I usually preach, and three that he usually preaches. And every once in a while, we like to experience each other's weekend. Uh, which means that right now at 10 o'clock, Mike's been up for about five hours wondering what to do with himself on Sunday morning. Uh, that's what happens when he does my services, and uh, he preached for me last night, so I spent all day yesterday wondering, what, what do you do on a Saturday when you're not getting ready for church uh, that night? But uh, excited to be with you uh, here again, especially on, on this weekend uh, as we share together uh, in Memorial Day. It's a holiday weekend. It's a time where we not only think about our national life together, it's a time where we, where we think about and participate in those things that, uh, that we think is significant about American culture. Uh, and one of the ways that uh, you ha- grow in appreciation of those things that you uh, think of when you think of American culture or the particular part of the country where you live is to spend time in a foreign country. Uh, in a culture that is not your own. It gives you a greater appreciation for those, those things that you think of as distinctly American, those things that you appreciate about your particular culture. And so in February, when I was in Israel, uh, visiting there with, several, with many members of our church, uh, I, I had that opportunity to experience another culture and to have an appreciation for, uh, for my own culture. And so I want to show you a few pictures. The first is uh, a picture from the very first lunch that I had there. My role... Uh, was to be the bus captain. The bus captain's job is to work with the tour host or the tour guide, uh, kind of be the go-between between the tour guide and, and the people who are on the bus. And so every day at lunch, we would uh, share a meal together. Uh, this was the second course of the meal uh, that we shared on that first day. What I learned that very first day is the, the last job you want to have uh, in Israel is the dishwasher. Because they use lots and lots of dishes. I mean, there was three of us at this table. We probably went through 50 plates uh, between the three courses of of, of food uh, that came out. Uh, When Mike was telling me about what we were going to eat in Israel, I thought to myself, I'm going to lose 10 pounds in 10 days. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to eat, but the food was all really good. Wasn't it all what you would kind of expect? Wasn't what I thought uh, it, would, it would taste like? Kind of a, a Mediterranean flair and a lot of the things that, that you had. The hummus really is better than anything we've, we can even imagine having over here. The pita bread is, is better. But, so we're sitting there and we're sharing this meal and, and experiencing all these different things that when they bring them out, it's, you, you sort of have this sense like, I don't know what this is, but I guess I'm going to eat this. I, I mean, you can't tell from looking at it. You see there in the, in the back left there, something that looks like guacamole, and there's avocado in there. It's in the vicinity of guacamole, if you will. Uh, there uh, over to the right is a lamb kind of spaghetti sauce stuff. That was actually one of my favorite things uh, to eat there. And, and some of the dishes that they brought out, they told me they were beef, and it was sort of beef, you know, I mean, it's like, okay, it's brown, I don't know what, what, but the flavor, very, very different, and so in the course of sharing this meal with our tour guide, Deeb, who who is right there, we got to talking about 
American culture and what we like to eat here uh, in this country, particularly here in, in the South. And so I showed him this, this next picture here. I said, this is my smoker, Deeb. This is what we do in America. He's like, what do you do with that? Well, you put meat in there, like real meat, like real beef, not like a little piece of beef, like a big piece of, of beef. This was taken uh, this winter when it was like three degrees outside. It was my way of fighting back against the, the cold winter was to go out there and, and smoke some meat. And, and, and that's, you know, that's one of the things that we think about when we think about American culture. And so some of you are doing this this weekend. You're, you're gathering with family and friends and you're firing up the grill. You're having the barbecue. You're, you're preparing for the summer temperatures, the kids of the grandkids for the first time this summer are going to get to jump in the pool and they're so excited about that, right? I mean, this is, this is part of what Memorial Day is for us in terms of the practice, the celebration of it. And yet we know that Memorial Day is about much more than that. It, it's about more than, than a family barbecue or the opportunity for, for the kids or the grandkids to jump in the pool for the first time. It's about more than that. It's about more than those, those, those uh, dishes that we like to serve and the, those things that we celebrate about, uh, about our American culture. It's about more than just dressing up in red, white, and blue and, and singing the songs that remind us of our, of our national identity. It's, it's, about, it's about more than that. Mike shared the story last night of a, a woman in his first church named Lessie. Uh, Lessie was in her 80s when Mike uh, came to that church. She worked in the nursery, took care of his, his three young kids at the time, and he, he told the story of going to see Lessie uh, at her home. He, he arrived there around dinner time for a, for a short visit, and when they sat down at the kitchen table, he noticed that there was more than one place setting there at the table. He was a little confused. Leslie lived alone and he had not planned on staying for dinner. And so he uh, was sort of trying to figure out how this conversation was going to go. And so he asked her, are you expecting company for dinner tonight? And she said, she said, no. And then she began to tell Mike about her son who in 1942 was on a troop carrier heading uh, to, to North Africa uh, that was sunk. And she said that for 30 years she's set that extra place for her son to remember him and to honor his sacrifice. That's what Memorial Day is about. That's what this weekend is about. That's why we have a, a, a national time where we pause and we stop and we remember why we are here and, and how we got here and, and the many whose, whose lives were lost in order to allow us to, to be here today. That's, that's what Memorial Day is about. And so today what I want to talk about is this, this practice of remembrance, this practice that is not only uh, core to uh, our national identity, uh, uh, it's also core to our human experience, and it's a part of our, our faith journey as well, this practice of remembrance. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Joshua, uh, which is the sixth book in the Bible, so uh, there near the beginning. Uh, Joshua 3 and 4 narrates for us an, uh, a very important moment in the history of Israel. But in order for you to understand the importance, I need to first tell you a little bit about what came before this moment. So Genesis chapter 12, if you go back to the first book of the Bible, God comes to a man who will one day be known as Abraham, and he makes a covenant with him. He makes a promise with him. He says to Abraham, you're going to be my people. Your descendants are going to be my people. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a, a, a great heritage. I'm going to bless you, and in you all the peoples of the world will be blessed. 
Genesis narrates for us the rest of that story as Abram leaves the land uh, where he received that promise, going to the land, uh, the promised land that God had set aside for him. We follow that journey through Abraham's immediate descendants, through his son Isaac, and through Isaac's son Jacob and Esau, and through Jacob's sons, the twelve sons of Jacob. If you know that portion of the story, you know that one of those sons was a man named Joseph, a a young man who was highly favored by his father, favored to such an extent that his brothers were very jealous of him, and his brothers decided to deal with their jealousy by selling their brother Joseph into slavery. Joseph ends up not in the land of promise, he ends up in Egypt, first imprisoned, and because of of Joseph's ingenious uh, nature, he rises in power and authority and eventually becomes someone who is in control in Egypt. He becomes second in command underneath the Pharaoh. Uh, While serving in that role, Joseph prepares Egypt for a famine that is coming. He does it so well that Egypt is the only area in, in, in that part of the world that is prepared for what is going to happen. And so because of Joseph's leadership and wisdom, the family that had left him, the brothers who had sold him into slavery, eventually come to Egypt because it's the only place that they can find food. And so when you get to the end of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, you find the people of God not in the land of promise, the place where God had directed them to go. Instead, they are in Egypt. They have relocated there. They've had a reunion with their brother, and they are now living in Egypt as guests of the Pharaoh. When you turn to the book of Exodus, it kind of fast forwards hundreds of years, and and the relationship between Joseph, the Israelites, and and the the leaders in in Egypt has, has been forgotten. And so the Israelites who had first come as guests now are slaves, and the rest of Exodus, you've probably seen the movie, Moses, Red Sea, all that kind of stuff, right? You know that part of the story. So Moses rises up as a leader, and he leads the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt for the purpose of taking them back to the land of promise, the place that God had directed them to go back in Genesis chapter 12. When you get to Leviticus, it's where God delivers the law and orders the life of this new people. When you turn to the book of Numbers, you find the people of God right up on the shoreline of the Jordan River, preparing to enter the land of promise. And what Moses does is he sends spies into the land to scout out what it not only looks like, but also the peoples that they will have to conquer in order to reclaim the promised land. And when the spies come back, they say, Moses, this is not a good idea. We've gotten together, we've talked about it. Those people are giants. We're going to get clobbered. We need to just go back to Egypt. This is not going to work. There is no way, even though God has done some amazing things, we're not sure God can do anything about about what uh, is waiting for us across the Jordan River. And so the Israelites turn away. After all that God had done to deliver them from, from slavery, uh, uh, crossing the Red Sea, they, they, they don't cross the Jordan River into the land of promise. Now, not everyone is, is fearful at that moment. There's this, there's this real young guy. I mean, just one of those young guys that nobody wants to listen to because he's just so arrogant and thinks that he can conquer the world. His name is Joshua, and he says, what are you talking about? I mean, God has done some amazing things. We're fine. Let's go. But Joseph's voice is shouted down, and so for a generation... The Israelites wander in the desert. Moses shares a final sermon with the people. That's the book of Deuteronomy. And when you get to the book of Joshua, 
leadership is now being transitioned from Moses to this young guy named Joshua, who has now grown in prominence and becomes the leader of these people. And that's the first five books of the Bible in about five minutes. So there's your little history lesson. So when we get to the book of Joshua, the people have returned to the Jordan River. They have returned to the place where a generation previous to them, they had come and they had turned away. They returned to to, to the banks of the Jordan River preparing for the second time to enter into the land of promise to finally fulfill the promise that had been shared with with their ancestor Abraham generations ago. And as they come to that place, this is what Joshua tells them to do. The first thing that he does is he sends lieutenants out into all of the people and he instructs the lieutenants to tell the people to follow the ark. Now if you don't know, the ark was, for the people of Israel, the physical reminder of God's presence among them. The the purpose of the ark was that the people were supposed to look at it and remember that they were the people of a, a covenant, a promise. They were the people of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that God had led them from a place of slavery into the wilderness and was leading them into the land of promise. The ark was meant to be a physical reminder that there is a powerful presence traveling here with us. God is with us. We are not alone. And so when they saw that physical, tangible item, that was what was supposed to be brought to their memories. And within that box were certain artifacts that represented their history. There was a portion of the manna that they had eaten while they were wandering in the desert, the the food that God had provided for them. There was the Ten Commandments that had been given to them. There were all of these artifacts of their faith, their, their past story. And what Joshua says in order to prepare the people to enter into the land, to finally cross the Jordan River, is he says, follow the ark. Follow the ark. Where it goes, you go. When it moves, you move. We are going to go together and we together are going to follow the ark. So wait for it. And when you see it move, you follow the ark. The second thing that Joshua does is he he pulls together the priests and he says, Hey, you're going to carry the ark. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to carry the ark into the Jordan River. Now, this is the Jordan River at at flood time, okay? This is not crossing Walnut Creek here in Mansfield. This is a large river to cross. And the instruction that Joshua gives to the people, as crazy as it may sound, is just keep walking on down into the river. And then what Joshua tells the priests and all the people is this. He says, here's what's going to happen. We're going to follow the ark. And when the ark enters into these waters, those waters are going to part. And we are going to cross into the land of promise on the dry riverbed. Now you may think to yourself, well, God's already done that trick. I mean, big deal. That that happened at the Red Sea. I mean, they're probably thinking, oh yeah, we've seen that before. But don't forget, these are not the same people who crossed the Red Sea. These are not the same people who had lived as slaves in Egypt. This is a generation that had wandered in the wilderness, that had heard stories of how God had uh, had intervened in their past, but they hadn't lived them. And so, but that's what Joshua says: the 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 ark is going to cross into the waters, and when the ark enters the waters, the waters are going to part, and we're going to cross on dry land. And wouldn't you know it? That's what happens. And all the people cross into the land of promise, finally fulfilling the promise 
that God had given to their ancestor Abraham in Genesis 12. And then Joshua does this. Joshua chapter 4, he says this, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua tells the tribes to each pick a representative to go into the dry riverbed to the place where the priests are standing. And everybody, everybody find a rock. Pick up that rock and carry that rock with you. And then he gives them this instructions. After they do that, uh, each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israelites to serve as a sign among you. And in the future, in the future when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Hey, Dad, where'd this rock come from? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So Joshua says, first, you're going to follow the ark. The ark is going to enter into the waters, and the ark is going to do something that you're, that's going to blow your mind. The waters are going to stop. We're going to cross over. We're going to enter into the land of promise. We're going to finally fulfill the covenant that has been given to us. And when it's all done, after all the people have passed by, and they're all on the other side going, can you believe that? Can you believe what happened? We are here. We are finally here. There are more challenges that lay ahead, but can you believe what God just did? Uh, Joshua says, go and find a rock and keep that rock so that one day when, 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 when your children and your grandchildren and all those who, who come after us, when they ask the question, what do these stones mean? You can tell them about what happened today, about what God did in stopping the flows of the Jordan River and what you did in having the courage to follow the ark. A couple of observations that we might make about this story. The first is that we often cannot move forward without first looking backward. We often can't move forward in our life. We often can't face a future challenge, whatever that might be, until we first take the time and look back at our history, at those who have come before us, at, at, the, at the heritage of faith that precedes us in order to remember not only who we are, but also what we are capable of. We look back and we remember, we we think about our shared past, our history, the heroes that have gone before us for the purpose of moving ahead. The purpose of looking back is to move ahead. It's not simply to reminisce about what has gone before us, because the challenges of today are different than the challenges of yesterday, and yet how we met them and how we face them informs us and shapes us as we move ahead. We look back and we remember our history, we remember our heritage, we remember our heroes because it helps us as we think about what lies ahead for us and for our families and for our future. We look back for the purpose of moving ahead. But maybe the most significant thing that we find in Joshua 3 and 4, the observation we make is this, that God assumes that one day we will forget. I mean, God does this amazing thing for the people who were there that day. 
But he assumes and he knows. He looks ahead and anticipates the day when we will have forgotten what happened in that place. And because God anticipates that, God prepares the people for that. He says, go and find a rock, a rock that's just like any other rock, a rock that in itself has no significance at all, but a rock that forever will symbolize what has happened here. God assumes that we will forget, and therefore God knows, appreciates, and affirms the importance of the practice of remembrance, of looking at a stone, a rock, asking ourselves the question, what does this stone mean? And in responding to that question, telling the story again for every successive generation, well, this is what it means. I mean, I know it looks like a rock, but it's really more than a rock. It's about our our story and our heritage and where we have come from and those who have gone before us and the way that they have given themselves and sacrificed for us. And, And we tell those stories again and again so that every successive generation knows the story of those who have preceded them. We see this at work in our faith in so many different ways. Once a month, we come to this table and we, we break bread and we consecrate a cup and we share what we call the Last Supper or Holy Communion. We do so in remembrance of Jesus. We, we do so to receive what, what, what Jesus has told us to do, to receive elements that represent his body broken and his shed blood. It's a ritual It's something that has been given to us by those who have come before us. They have taught us these ways. They have instructed us in how to remember Jesus. And it's a gift that we share with future generations. And so we not only appreciate the fact that when we break bread and we share the cup, we not only participate in the thing, in something that people have done who have gone before us, we appreciate that we are participating in something that we do with people all around the world who, who call themselves Christians, who believe in this man named Jesus, who, who seek to follow him in, in their daily life. But we also appreciate the moment when a, a, when a pastor is able to share that gift with a young person. And, and, and to, in, in sharing that gift, to, to remind them that these are the elements of our faith. This is the ritual that we practice. This is the gift that has been given to us by the church, and it's a gift that we give to every successive generation as they come and, and take up that which has gone before them. Our lives are filled with things like this, Those, these elements, uh, both physical and, and, and stories that we share, that, that we treasure and we appreciate because someone gave them to us. Someone sacrificed so that we could have them. Someone loved us and, 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 and something that for someone else may look like a piece of junk for us. No, 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 no. That's more than what you see there. That's from this person or that person. It represents their story and their life and the way that they, they gave themselves to us. And, and, and I bet if I went into any one of your homes, I, I would walk around and I would see some things and I'd wonder, what in the world is that? And I might even ask you a question like this. I would say, what does, what does that mean? And you would tell me a story. A story about your life and how someone else has blessed and shaped and and, and and helped you be who you are today because of the way that they have given themselves to you. It's a rock, but it's, but it's more than a rock. It's a remembrance of our history. It's a remembrance of our, our heritage. And so on Memorial Day weekend, we pause and we remember that we are all here because of someone else's sacrifice. 
We are all here today because of someone else's sacrifices. Whether, whether we are, are people who, who, who were born here, we've been here from the very beginning, or people who have been here in this nation for just, for just a short period of time, we're here because someone else sacrificed for us. We woke up today. Maybe you had a hot shower this morning, a nice, a nice breakfast uh, meal there at, sh- at your table. You, you got in your car, you came to this place, uh, you, you, you lifted your voices in worship, we shared a prayer together, we opened up the scriptures, and, and all of that happened because of someone else's sacrifice. Because someone gave to you, someone poured out their life for you, someone blessed you, and, and in many cases it's people who, we don't even know their stories. We don't even know all they gave, but we're here today because of them because of how they sacrificed, whether that be a sacrifice of their life or, or a sacrifice that is lived out day by day in the way that they loved us and cared for us and nurtured us. I love this quote from, from Isaac Newton. I have, if I have seen further, it is only by standing on the shoulders of giants. If I have seen further, it is only by standing on the shoulders of giants. I didn't know until this week that it was actually a, a paraphrase of a previous quote uh, from a French philosopher that said this, we are like dwarves, perched on the shoulders of giants, and thus we are able to see more and farther than the latter. And this is not at all because of the acuteness of our sight or the stature of our body, but because we are carried aloft and elevated by the magnitude of the giants. Who has been a giant in your life? Who has been a giant in your life? Who is it that this weekend you'd simply need to pause and say, thank you, God, for the giant who sacrificed for me, who poured their life into me, who gave to me what I now have today. Who, who is that giant that on this weekend when we do so many other things, you simply need to stop and pause and say, and say thank you, Lord, for this giant in my life on whom I am now building my own life. We are all here because of someone else's sacrifice. But Memorial Day is also a reminder that we ourselves, you and I, are not only capable of, we are called to living a life of great sacrifice. You already heard these words, John 15, greater love had no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. We celebrate Holy Communion. We, we participate in these rituals not only to say thank you, Jesus, but also to say lead us, Jesus. Lead us. As you have given yourself to us, so we now go to give ourselves for others. We remember sacrifice in part because we know that sacrifice is our call. Sacrifice is our task. Sacrifice is our future. Sacrifice is our responsibility. And so we remember our heroes. We remember our heritage in part because we seek to remember that the courage in which they lived is the same courage that God seeks to see exhibited in our own lives as well. We are called to and capable of living a life of great sacrifice. And so here, what Joshua says to the people in the end of chapter 4, beginning with verse 20, And Joshua set up at the place where they met the night, the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them this. Hear these two things. Tell them first, that Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. And then tell them that the reason that happened 
is because the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. Don't just tell them what God did. Tell them what you did as well. Tell them about the miracle that God performed. But tell them about the men and women who also had the courage to go into those waters and to cross into the promised land and to respond to the call that God had placed in their life. It is not only a remembrance of what God had done, it is also a remembrance of what the people did to respond to God's invitation. And so we pause this weekend and we say thank you. We say thank you to all those who have sacrificed for us. We, thank, we say thank you for all the men and women who have given their lives in, in service and sacrifice for this country. But we also pause to say, Lord, as others have sacrificed for us, we commit ourselves again to be people who will walk in the way of love, love that is most clearly exhibited in the way we give ourselves for one another. Let us pray. God, today we pause to remember who we are and who we belong to. We reconstruct this day, Lord, the heroic stories of those who have preceded us in order to remember that if, if we can see further than those who have come before us, it is only because we are standing on the shoulders of giants. We thank you, Lord, for all those who have sacrificed for us so that we might be here today to have the opportunity to celebrate the gift of life and to remember the calling that we have pl- you have placed on our life. As others have sacrificed for us, God, we pray that you will enable us to be people who are willing to sacrifice for others. We share this prayer with you in Jesus' name. Amen.